God is back. We actually meant to make this a one week, a, a normal one week, once a week schedule last week. And then unfortunately there was a, there was an illness uh, in the podcast. Uh, so we took a week off again, frustratingly, uh, but we are back because we had a big episode planned last week. Very big episode. One of the most important talking points of the summer. Folks, it's bad gets episode. Now, uh, we're not going to spend the whole podcast talking about bad gets, but of course, the the trope always is that, oh, good get. Every transfer commits, it's a good get. Uh, and everything's a good get, big get, huge ad, significant piece, great addition, whatever. Sometimes it's not a good ad. Not sometimes it's not a good get. Sometimes it's a bad get or a mediocre get. And to be clear, we we did we said this last year. Like most of the time, there there are some cases where we're being like, we do not think this player is good, which again is certainly only about their basketball abilities. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, like who they are. People, people. Uh, I assume people know that, but disclaimer there. Um, but a lot of it is more like strategy based, and then we've talked about like portal strategy a lot on this podcast and like, do you take a, do you take a guy early? Do you wait? Um, kind of style of play fits, you know, last year, one that Brad sort of screwed up. And I guess you could kind of like, um, I guess like cool thrown him on was saying that Jack Nungy was a bad get for Xavier. He was a good enough player, almost an all league player. I feel like you can't say he's a bad get, but the fact that uh, Xavier's team kind of like was broken all year because of it, uh, of him and Fremantle, I guess, um, made it somewhat of a weird one. But again, it's more about strategy and like team building than it is about, oh my God, this kid stinks. So with that in mind, Brad, are you excited for the Bad Gets podcast? I am. I mean, I mean, the reason why everyone's always throwing out good get, good get is because these coaching staffs kind of know more about basketball than we do. That's correct. So if we're able to see that this addition makes sense from a basketball perspective, that's the whole reason why they called the kid in the first place and tried to get him, right? Like, Naheem Aline was a good get for UConn. Yeah, if, if Kevin and Brad can see that they needed that shooting and defense in the starting five, and a guy who you know, p- played bigger than his size at Tech, then Dan Hurley recognize that too and that's you know that's that's why it's a good get because these coaches generally know basketball the 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 only other thing i would add to that is that one of the substantial drivers of quote-unquote good get called good get culture uh is the fact that the announcement of where a player is going either comes directly from a player or it comes from being on a text list from the coach and i have gotten texts from coaches that literally say you know, we just got X player. It's a huge get for us. He's going to be great for us, right? And you can't then break that news and be like, eh, whatever. Yeah, eh. He's not. He's not great. Efton Reed, yeah. Particularly considering the fact, it? yeah. Particularly considering the fact that if you do that, you're probably not getting another text from that coach, which, like it or not, is part of the industry. Um, and Speaking then once you which, see once you see once you see that trickle down, correct, right? You see, oh wow, you know, Jeff Borzello thinks that um, you know Naheem Aline is a great get for for Dan Hurley. Oh, it must be a great get. And he he must know more than I do because he talks to the coaches. So anyway. similarly, if anyone um, reads the Ethan Strauss stuff, yes, 
I read all the free stuff, not the pay stuff. But he had a post today about how Woj buried the Kevin Durant story from uh, yesterday about how Durant asked for a, a trade or for Nash and Marks to be let go. Because uh, I guess apparently Woj gets all his info from Sean Marks. And Sean Marks is like, yeah, you, 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 you can't roll with this. So I guess ESPN didn't have a comment on the story for like six hours. This is this that that's gonna be like me, uh, be like me in like five years if Drew Valentine's ever on the hot seat. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, folks. Brad, we're not, we're not starting with the bad guys, right? You want no. to start with some news? Yeah, we do have some news off the top of the podcast. Recruiting news. It is full off season swing. Um, so we will do that. We will hit on some scheduling stuff as well that has come across over the last couple of weeks as schedules pour in. Then we'll get to the bad gets and any miscellaneous news and notes that should be noted slash mentioned. Um, I guess the good place to start news-wise is Michigan State is on a freaking heater in recruiting. Um, Cohen Carr, the latest pickup. I don't remember if we had gotten in Garrick Norman or Xavier Booker last episode. I think Booker, um, but, but I'm not sure. Booker, potentially not Norman. Um, regardless, like... Or, or at least we kind of knew Booker was heading there before he committed. Um, regardless, like Michigan State now has this awesome class in 2023 with potential one and dones, potential multi-year guys, all top 100 kids. You know, one true five-star in Xavier Booker, um, two, you know, two guys who project as really good college players in Cohen Carr and Jeremy Fears, and then Derek Norman, uh, whose stock has just risen throughout. Um, the spring and the summer uh, because of his ability to shoot the basketball. He's six foot six. He has a little bit of playmaking pop uh, as well. He can you know, play on the ball. You play off the ball. Uh, so he is, you know, I think it's like Flores, probably Matt McQuaid type production. Uh, I know that's easier said than done. Um, but I think like, that's like his realistic floors like a college basketball player. Maybe like something like a Matt McQuaid. Um, and I think he has the potential to be a little bit more than that and be that like, um, you know, steady, you know, combo shooter at six foot six. So to get that, to get a big athletic skilled wing in Cohen Carr, to get a, you know, versatile rim running shot blocking machines, A.B. Booker to go with the longtime commit Jeremy Fears at point guard, who I've seen um, dating back to last January when he played in the NIBC um, for his former high school now, which is La Lumiere. He now goes to overtime elite. Um, this is an awesome class. It's right now it's third in 24-7. It probably won't go any higher just because of the volume of commits, but Booker's ranking will go up in 24-7, so that will potentially even things some things out. And, you know, I think it's noteworthy, particularly given the, the vibes just, like, haven't been great out of Michigan State um, this offseason. No transfers. We kind of wondered what they were doing. Um, you know, Max Christie, one-and-done weird deal. Izzo's getting older, you know, there's you know, a question of how is he going to be with NIL? He's very kind of vocally anti-portal. You know, I think this was a big offseason for Michigan State. And whatever they're doing, whether it's NIL related, whether it's just Izzo getting back to him, it is working because these dudes are rolling and getting really good players in this 2023 class. Yeah, and, and looking ahead, I mean, yeah, this, this class is going to have a five-star then two top 75 guys with Fears and Carr, and then Norman is like top 100. 
Uh, but looking ahead to next season, the only guy who they're definitely losing is Hauser. Everyone else has eligibility left. Yeah. So if you're saying theory where you can, you know, have a Malik Hall and Xavier Booker and Jackson Kohler, those three guys rotating at the bigs, and then in in the backcourt you'll have Tyson Walker, who I think is going to have a huge year this year. You know, he can stay if if he wants, and then um, another years of progression from Hogard and Jay Nakins and Pierre Brooks, who all look to be in line for a pretty big minutes this year. Um, th- those guys getting their feet wet, plus adding this young group. Uh, Spartans could be in really good shape for 23-24. Yeah, we don't really know yet how good they'll be this this coming year. Um, you know, I, think- I think tournament team, definitely. I'm not that confident. Like, and I, and I know we don't like doing the, well, they lost this and they didn't add this, so they have to drop X number of spots. But Michigan State was good, not great last year. And while I don't think any individual player on that team was irreplaceable, they do lose a like considerable amount of like solid players. Like Max Christie up, down, maybe he wasn't tough enough. Maybe he didn't shoot it as well as he should have. Max Christie was an important part of this Michigan State team. Gabe Brown was your leading scorer. Gabe Brown got an exhibit 10. Gabe Brown is 6'8", athletic, you know, again, inconsistent down the stretch, but a guy who could get buckets. Marcus Bingham, yes, again, sort of faded down the stretch, but had a really, really good start to the year, was that athletic big who could switch a little bit, who could pick and pop occasionally, who could rim run. And, and then Julius Marble, who, again, not a great player, um, but a serviceable high major front court rotation player who could play back to the basket, who you could throw it to on the block, who could get you a bucket. Like these are four pieces that you lose and you don't have the, you know, the, the, the impact newcomers, you know, they're thin in the front court. Um, they're reliant on a young guy in Jackson Kohler who has not played a lot of, has played no college basketball. Who's a little undersized. Who's not super athletic, right? You're relying a lot on Jade Nakins. I mean, I'm not totally like like they could be, you know. I I don't really want to bet against Izzo doing it, but like, you know, this was not a great team last year. The year before, also not a great team. Obviously, that was COVID. Whatever. Um, you know, the, am I crazy for being like, eh? I don't, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not buying this. I'm not sold on this. I don't think you're crazy. Right. I, I, I think if, if they could have either brought back Max Christie or even added just like a Jacob Grandison level guy. Right. You, you know, just, just a winger could come in and, and, and hit shots. I know they they were trying to get Micah Parrish or they're going to San Diego State. That was a weird one. Um, weird. But I, I think a Walker, Hogard, Aikens, one through three, or if they are, are able to play Malik Hall at the three. I think that can work. I think that's enough talent. I think Walker can 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 be their best player. He he came on late. I mean, out of their top nine, which would be everybody besides Carson Cooper, 
I believe Walker's the only one who wasn't a top 100 recruit, and he might be their best player. Fair. Uh, That's fair. So, so the the talent is there. They are missing that that one piece. Um, but a little progression from guys like Hall and and, and Walker and Hogard and it's the old fashioned build. It's the old fashioned yeah. build. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a a a 2022 style rebuild. And, right? and maybe Izzo will prove me wrong, right? I mean, I, I wrote that when I wrote them as a loser of the offseason just because they lost a bunch of pieces and didn't do anything. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Thomas has won like 650 more games than I have. Um, and if they could have just brought back just like Marvel and Christie, I think everyone would have this team as a top 15 team. But Probably. Their schedule is also brutal. We'll get to that later potentially. But they're going to get tested early, tested often. And I don't know if that's the best thing for this, like, this roster. To me, you know, younger, you know, still some younger guys, guys having a bigger role. I think it'll be an interesting test. Um, but they've been high on the recruiting trail, no, trail, no question. And I think certainly that resurgence is coming in East Lansing, certainly assuming Izzo uh, sees out these guys coming in, which you would assume so. But again, you never know. There's been a lot of uh, turnover in this profession lately. Uh, another team on a heater in recruiting, Brad, is Ohio State, uh, who got two commitments last week from top 75 recruits, both wings, uh, Devin Royal from All Ohio Red and Pickerington Central, uh, who was recruited by Michigan, uh, and Scotty Middleton uh, from Sunrise Christian, who's a guy I've been tracking for, for a while. He's a top 40 recruit. He played for Bad, Brad Beal Elite with Layden Blocker um, and was recruited by a lot of Big East schools like UConn and Seton Hall. Uh, as well as um, some other bigger programs. Uh, you know, he took, uh, got an offer early at one point from Kansas. He had an offer at one point from Michigan State, from Xavier. Uh, so he has been recruited heavily, uh, and he turns into the latest Ohio State Buckeye. Uh, and the talent level just continues to stay very, very high. They've now got four top 100-ish recruits in this class that comes off of the 2022 class that was relatively similar. I think they had five um, kids all in that general range. Yep, they had uh, four top, you know, four, four top 65 recruits and then uh, one project is Bowen Hardman uh, who they, they liked. Uh, so, so again, I mean, the talent level is just so high. We don't know where the star power will be, but Chris Holtman is, you know, raising the floor to a really, really high point. Uh, for the Buckeyes right now. And, you know, I guess the question is, how are you going to get all of these guys playing time? Right. You have eight in, in, in their past two classes. And if you include Kalen Etzler, who redshirted this past year, right, that's nine guys in the 22 and 23 classes. Se- separated by one class, there's nine of them, and they're all top 125 except for Bowen Hardman. Yep. So that's eight guys within a year um, who, who are going to be scrapping for playing time. That's why I, I had texted you. I, I would put the over-under for transfers in this class at 3.5 because Ohio State has had similarly built teams the past few years where they have like six or seven guys who should be starters, but they have too many like fourth or fifth best players. <coughs> Excuse me. And you're seeing guys like Michi Johnson, Luther Muhammad uh, leave after playing a lot. Uh, 
Muthur Muhammad especially, I think was like a big starter, almost 30 minutes a game type of guy. Um, but like the impact of that is minimized because there's constantly other guys, right? Like, Right, but you're replacing him with like a fourth and fifth best player when ideally, if he sticks around, the next year he can be a second or third best player. You know, right, but Luther Muhammad didn't Nate, become that at right, Arizona State, right? right. Like, Luther Johnson, but, I'm not convinced, will do that at, Ohio, at South Carolina. But like, looking at this roster, but if, if, if you're going to invest in, in playing those guys as younger guys, you want them to eventually become your best or second best player. Right, but that uh, worked with EJ Liddell, that worked with Dwayne Washington, you know. But looking at, at, at the 22-23 Ohio State team, which – which I think I, I would categorize myself as liking this team. I think they'll be like top 30, but not top 25. They went out and, and plugged some holes. I mean, I, I know they lost Brandon and Liddell early, um, but adding guys like Isaac Likely, Sean McNeil, Tanner Holden in, in, in the transfer portal to try to mix with these young, talented freshmen coming in. Uh, Things the same question that we've had in, in past years is, is this too many fourth or fifth best players? Right. I agree with that. I, I just think, like, at the end of the day, and, and again, will Holtman win a national championship at Ohio State? I don't think so. Will he make a Final Four? We'll see. Um, the tournament success has lacked, and they've got to be better defensively than they've been. But, like, I just think from, like, a program building standpoint, and again, it's a luxury to be at Ohio State. We all acknowledge that. But, like, being able to bring in consistently, right? Like the EJ Liddell level recruits, the Malachi Branhams, right? That like 25 to 65 in recruiting. We've talked about it so much, such a sweet spot because you're potentially getting these guys for two to three, two, three, four years. You've got a decent chance of them blossoming into that all American level player, like they got with Liddell, like they, Got, I don't know if I would get all American, but Dwayne Washington was an all big Big Ten player. Um, you know, if they go surprise one and done because they get the opportunity and they shine, right? Like, like that happened with Branham. That could happen, I think, this year with Bryce Sensabaugh, right? Like, if that happens, okay, because you're going to line it up, right? They're not recruiting hugely based on need, right? Like, look at this rock. Like, look at what they brought in next year. They have a combo guard. They have two big wings and a center, right? You know, the year before, their class was, um, I think, relatively similarly constructed, right? I mean, yeah, two Gale, guards, you know, two guards, Thornton, and Gale. Guard, Thornton, center, you know, big wing, sensible, and then the shooter, right? So there's like two wings, point guard, center, right? You're just going to recruit two wings, a point guard, and a center every class. And they're all in that, you know, 25 to 75 range you're going to hit, right? Like eventually you're, you're, you're never going to be positioned not to make the NCAA tournament. You're never going to have that down here. I think that's valuable. A brand like Ohio State is never going to have, you know, that's, that's, there are, in the transfer portal era, the Buckeyes are never going to put out a roster that looks like Kansas State's, right? Probably true. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they'll make the tournament again this year, but well, after that low blow at Kansas State, do you want to transition to Kansas State? Did you see that Keontae Johnson got a crystal ball to Kansas State? I did. It was a Kansas State writer, so I'm cautious. But Keontae visited. So so the deal with Keontae Johnson, uh, from what I've gathered, um, and 
a lot of this is kind of just speculation based on the way you read things, right? Like my feeling had been for a bit that Keontae's big issue in getting to play college basketball next year was the sexual assault case, not the heart issue. That eventually he'd be able to find schools that would take him and figure out the heart thing. You know, to get someone into school with an active sexual assault case against you is really, really hard if you're not at like New Mexico State or UTEP. Um, and I only bring up those two examples because I know at least in UTEP's case, like they've done it before, right? With like a Dom artist type kid. Um, so, you know, I think it was just going to be tricky for them for, for anyone to take Keontae. And now that the sexual assault case is cleared, now that you hear the, oh, USC is recruiting him, Western Kentucky is recruiting him, he took a visit to Kansas State. Um, I don't know if he's committing to Kansas State. You kind of feel like he's waited a while um, after the visit, which I believe was a week and a half ago at this point. Um, but at the same time, right, like that would be something if you get him into Kansas State and give them a little bit of life, a little bit of juice. I still don't think it's, a, you know, close to a tournament level roster, but, you know, and, and you also don't know what you're getting with Keontae, right? Like at his best, he was an SEC player of the year, a top 20 to top 20 to 30 player in college basketball. Do you think that you're getting that Keontae Johnson? I wouldn't think so. Huh? I wouldn't think so. Right. It would be, it would be unrealistic to expect that, but I also don't think it's unreasonable to say you could get something very good out of it. So, you know, we'll see. I'm going to hold, you know, I'm going to hold before I get too excited about it for Kansas State, but it would certainly help. And I know they've been working on it for a while. So uh, regardless, you know, we've, we've kind of joked about Kansas State's roster for 2022 not being in very good shape, it being relatively portal driven, it being, you know, some of these very, you know, lower level portal guys, you know, unproven portal guys, but anything else like a Cam Carter, like a Jarrell Colbert, and then some of these mid-major guys like Tyke Green and Abayomi Yola and Desi Sills. You know, this is not a high-level roster by any stretch. But the talent is coming in 2023. They have a pair of top 75 guard commits in point guard Day-Day Ames from Chicago and shooting guard R.J. Jones, uh, who is a Texas kid. He played for JL3 and YBL uh, and goes to Wasatch Academy now. So I've seen... Jones more than Ames. I think Jones is a good player. I think he's a like Kansas State level recruit. I know that they haven't had a ton of experience lately getting top 75 type kids to the uh, extent that Day Day Ames and RJ Jones are the sixth and seventh highest rated recruits in program history. Um, but they're doing a nice job in Manhattan right now with this 2023 class. And I know they're recruiting like Dalen Davis, who's another Chicago kid, another point guard. Recruiting Caleb Rich, who's from East St. Louis, who's this like big physical combo forward. I'm not going to compare it to David Roddy, but like he has that similar like Roddy body um, in terms of just being that just monstrous. Like looks like he just came off the football field, um, but really athletic and a freak. Uh, and I know they recruited other guys as well, but the Jones Ames duo is a very good start for KSU in 2023 uh, to help set the foundation for Jerome Tang. Yeah, I mean, we just can't stress enough how disappointing this transfer poll was in year one. You know, a lot of these guys were the guys who hit, who hit, hit the portal late, you know, like Green and Eola. Um, just kind of a, the, 
the leftover scraps there. Um, both guys, I think, should, should should start with how the roster is currently constructed. But yeah, I mean, getting two top 100 recruits for next year is huge. The question is, will it be enough? Like, are, are, have have they put themselves too, too far behind the eight ball after this class? Um, which in right, the transfer yeah. portal, area, you, right? You you can always turn it around quick in, in the transfer portal era, um, but at the same time, <laughs> the uh, best transfers are are going to go to the teams that you know won the year before. You you're not going to have a ton of guys lining up to go play for one in seventeen Kansas State. But I think you see that a little bit with Minnesota, right? I mean, we kind of joked about the Minnesota thing, and oh, you know, out, out there. And I, and I give uh, Tang credit. I think this recruiting class is certainly higher regarded than what Minnesota got for 2022. No offense to guys like Pharrell Payne and Josh Ola Joseph, who are like top 250 recruits, but those are more like mid plus level kids. These are clear high major guys, top 75 guys. But, you know, at the same time, right, I think it, you you just need talent, right? And when you look at this roster right now, you're you're saying who who in 23, 24 is going to contribute, right? Who Who is going to be ready to compete, right? And you don't know, you know, is Cam Carter a bust or is he a – you got him after one year where he wasn't really going to play anyway on the way the roster was constructed and he's a perfectly good high major player, right? Like you need that. You need – uh, Naquan Tomlin to be something. You want Dorian Finister or Taj Manning to be something. You want Jarrell Colbert to be something. You're hoping that you can build this and have four or five legit rotation players here in the fold going into, okay, now you have Ames. Now you have uh, RJ Jones. Now you have maybe a Caleb Rich. Now you add, okay, we get two transfers, three transfers. Now we've got an IT team or potentially, you know, maybe even a tournament team. So I think that's where you're looking if you're Kansas State. Obviously, if they were to get Keontae Johnson this year, that might change things a little bit just because of the unknown factor um, and, and the potential that it could bring them to a, you know, I don't want to say postseason, but like we know Desi Sills is a fine high major role player. We know Marquise Noel is a fine high major starter. We know David Ngasan is a, fine high major starter or rotation player at the very least. Uh, you know, we, we know Ishmael Masood can play on a high major. We, you know, like, I know it's a lot of like six best players, but if that plus a good Keontae Johnson might be like an IT team. And then, you know, another team as to evidence that it's not so easy to just quote unquote hit the portal after a bad season is Georgetown, right, where yes. they ended up doing a pretty good job. But at the time, everyone was saying Alex Fudge, Efton Reed, you know, they they had their eyes set for a much higher level transfer. Uh, Tyrell Ward, who wasn't transfer, but he was a recruit. Um, and then instead of those guys, you ended up with, like, well, obviously Brandon Murray's a stud and you got Wahab to come back. But the, the rest of that class is... On the underwhelming side, we'll see. I'm sure Jay Heath will be fine. I'm, it sounds like they like Brian Mazzone, um, but like the guys like Primo Spears and Bradley Ezwiro, um, those those were not the guys that Georgetown fans had envisioned would be on the team after hitting the portal this year. Yeah. 
that's fair. Um, quickly, here are a few other commits 2023 that we should mention. KJ Evans, the six foot nine top 10 recruit, is going to Oregon. He's very much, in my mind, more prospect than player. Um, I think he's a chance as a pro, but I'm not excited about him being like your best player in a college team. I think he'll be soft. I'm not sure he'll be ready to to scrap. I think he kind of fits the Oregon mold of the past uh, of guys who come in and it takes a little bit of time. Uh, and then the other kid you have to watch with Oregon who hasn't committed yet, but has a commitment date set and is getting crystal balls is Mookie cook. Who's a top 10 recruit at a compass prep six foot seven. Again, not a guy who's been super, super productive at uh, on the UIBL circuit or uh, I believe he played Adidas earlier in the year. Not a guy who's been like an elite producer of talent but a guy who certainly has – or not a producer of talent, producer of points, rebounds, assists, et cetera, but a guy who has a ton of talent and a guy that, you know, again, you're betting on. So how does that work for a team that wants to win? I don't know. But, you know, when top 10 recruits line up at your door, you tend not to say no. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on Oregon this year. I, I see the talent. I don't see the fit. I don't see how this is any different than some of their past teams that if if not for flaming out, they at least started slow or, you know, took took a while to, to uh, come along. Um, but Will Richards is definitely gone for next year. You'd assume Gary A is gone. Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows who else is gone? I mean, Dante could be gone. Ware's probably gone. But – you figure Cook and Evans will probably slot in three and four. Um, who else is there around them? Who knows? But, you know, if if they're in year two of the Cousinard-Bartholomew backcourt, a couple scoring guards, plus Cook and Evans, and then one of the big sticks around, you know, that team team should be good. Yeah. Should be top top 25-ish good, You you would think. Any other recruiting you want to hit on, Brad, before we move on? I'm trying to think. I don't think anything else was major off the top of my head. But Well, then let's do let's do our bad guess and flip the scheduling to the end. The scheduling is a lot more nebulous. There isn't like a bunch of things we have to hit on. It's more kind of stuff that we're looking at, trends we're seeing towards, um, you know, November 7th, which is when the season starts. Yeah, November 7th, so... Very excited about that. We will hit on that at the end of the podcast. So, Brad, it's bad get time. Um, I think it would be easy if we tried to go conference to conference, and then it might be harder for you the way you have your um, your depth chart set up, but you probably have a more formal list than I do. So um, I would like to try to start with the ACC and meander from there, but uh, – Open a suggestion, sir. Sounds good. ACC. We'll start with a twofer at Boston College. Mm. At Boston College, I've I've been feeling a little bit of Boston College enthusiasm out there. <laughs> kind of like you know, this Boston College roster might not be that bad. The ACC should not be good next year. Should should be fine at the top. They could get five or six tournament teams. Uh, but the the middle bottom is kind of disgusting, uh, and and that has lifted Boston College up a little bit in in ACC rankings. 
I, I certainly do not think this is a tournament team. Um, and you have to look at two big missed opportunities here where presumably their starting power forward will be C.J. Penha, who is a Division the division two up transfer. Um, if, if you're one who likes the, the Langfords and likes Jaden Zachary, figure this, this was a good spot where you could have gotten a, a veteran power forward. I mean, once upon a time, Boston College got Deontay Hawkins from Illinois State, who was a very good power forward, uh, like a face-up four-man. Uh, back back when they had some buzz that with Jerome Robinson and Kai Bowman, um, the, the Langfords are not Jerome Robinson nor Kai Bowman, and this I I thought was an opportunity to put like a nice versatile athletic foreman next to this returning core, and then secondly Mason Madsen from Cincinnati, who was like a ninth or tenth man on a mediocre American Conference team. Uh, again, he's he's not going to push any of these starters. I don't think they have a you know a guy in Donald Hand who's top one hundred and fifty freshman recruit. But I mean, this this was a spot where you could have made a push and gotten a a shooter. You know, as a starting two guard to start between the Langfords and then move Zachary off the bench. Or uh, either way, missed opportunity to not increase their talent level, adding Penha and Madsen. Yeah. I don't know how much of this is that, like, it's just inherently hard to sell BC. And I know the NIL offseason was tricky, right? Like, you have academic concerns. I, I know that Jim Christian got some okay transfers. Um, so I, I, I don't want to, like, fully forgive. But I also think that, like, like, particularly in the Pena case, like, a lot of teams were rolling the dice on D2. He's really productive. I know someone who watched him and, and played against him and said, no, 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 he's like a mid to low kid. He's not a high major kid. So I'm tempering expectations there. I'm keeping Baker staff in the starting lineup. Uh, and, I, and I think Mason Madison's a reach. But I also think that at BC, like, the way you're going to win end of day is probably by getting mid-major plus level kids, right, and developing them and getting multiple years with them and keeping them in your program, right? Like a Mason Madison was that kind of recruit two years ago. And it's been COVID and it's been weird, right? Like if I can take Mason Madison and try to mold him and they had two coaches, right, like – try to just figure it out. I'm a little, I'm, I I get it, but I also do think that one was a reach, right? Like there has to be a mid-major guard out there that you could have gotten that was a little bit more proven to come help because right now the talent level is just too low for me to jump on the train. And I know they've recruited well in 22, you're right. The Donald Hand, Chase Kelly, Prince of League Bay class. That's exciting at Boston college. Certainly. Um, I, you know, so, so I certainly think the, the Madsen ad is disappointing. Pena, it's a gamble. Again, my, my source did not love it, but that doesn't mean that my source is always right. So, like, I have I have Tulane in my depth chart right next to Boston College. Okay. Oh, I, see, I like Tulane more than Boston College. Right, right. But Tulane got Colin Holloway, who might not even start for them. Yeah. I, I, I mean, would you rather have Colin Holloway than CJ Penna? Yes. Yeah. The other thing with BC is like, I think one of the reasons for excitement is they kind of got feisty down the stretch and won them, you know, won, won the conference tournament game that they probably shouldn't have won against Wake and then played Miami super tight. Um, and it's like, okay, cool. Like maybe BC's turned it a little bit. And like, you forget that like they lost to Albany last year. 
they're not very talented, right? Like that's the best player was Makai Asher Langford. Right. Their best player was Makai Asher Langford. Yeah. yeah. Certainly. So hey. I think that's probably hey, yeah. enough on the BC front. I think we are in agreement there. Um my bad get to start the ball rolling in the ACC uh was I I have two. I'm debating where I want to start. Andrew Carr, Wake Forest. Oh, a late ad for a team yeah. that supposedly struggled with NIL. Yeah, struggled with NIL. Jake Laravia gone, needed a four. Again, but like Andrew Carr to me was like Delaware good. He was a good player at Delaware. Like I watched him play two, three times. Would I have taken him at Colorado State? Maybe. I mean, I certainly take him on Colorado State on August 10th or whatever day we're recording this. Um, what I've taken on April 10th, 50-50 in the Mountain West, right? So the ACC, that's tricky. I think it's, you know, again, that's what you can get, but I, I don't think it's nearly enough for where Wake is. So I guess I'm going to chalk that up as a bad-ish get. I could see it just because they needed somebody. I, I I think I like this Wake team more more than Boston College. I don't know if you agree with that. But. I like Forbes, yeah. So yeah, sign me up, sure. It's gonna be interesting because they're they're centers, right? They got freshman Zach Keller, who's a top one twenty-ish recruit, and then Davion Bradford, who played at Kansas State, but. Given the big man market, this was a reasonable ad. But I think going into the preseason, a, a wait, or sorry, going into the offseason, a Wake Forest fan would have expected better than a, like a backup pick from Kansas State as potentially their starting center for next year. Um, the- I, also, I also think that like at the end of the day, I think it's a good illustration that like everybody views like, oh, man, you get in the portal, you do work like. You're going to get better kids, right? And I know this offseason went a little bit unique. But, like, Wake should be the poster child. Like, I want to go play, in the, play for you in the portal now, right? They produced an ACC player of the year out of a sixth man in the Big 12 and a, you know, NBA first-round draft pick out of a all-Missouri Valley player. They right. Dean C into a good player, right? Like, it worked. So to then turn around and it's like, okay, well, we can get Tyree Appleby. Okay, we can turn around and get Andrew Carr and Davion Bradford and Jawatuka, right? Like these were mid-plus transfers. Jawatuka was recruited by James Madison and Murray State. Andrew Carr was getting called for by Davidson to get official visit to Davidson, right? Like the fact that high-level transfers didn't want a piece of this after seeing what he did, again, part of it's just NIL. And I think that's what makes this exercise hard. But, like, that's, like, a pretty interesting illustration to me. But, like, it yeah, doesn't matter at the end of the day. I mean, I, I started this conversation with NIL, but I, I, I do think that it, it's become too much of a crutch. Yes. Um, be, because not every transfer out there is getting NIL. Probably most aren't or aren't getting something significant. And Wake has the most important – of all the cells in recruiting, which is 
we just put two guys in the pros. And for transfers, two guys with similar backgrounds. Right? Like you're you're talking to the Alondas Williamses of the world and the Jake Laravias of the world after they have just elevated themselves to be great college players and future NBA players. Um, so so it, it, their their performance in the portal was really really disappointing. Um, anything else on Wake, or should I move to the next? Sure. One? If you have another ACC, go ahead. I have I have two more. I mean, I have uh, a very. I think we're probably going to be in agreement on one of them. Uh, all right, we're going to NC State. Oh, okay. Dusan Mahorchich. I mean, he's a backup center. I don't care. Okay, okay, but they already added a center, DJ Burns. They are bringing back their starter from last year, Dewona. And they had a 6'10 sophomore, Ernest Ross, who you figure plays in five. I mean, I mean, this is just a waste of a spot. Yeah, I would have wanted one more wing. And they still have, you know, one one scholarship open. But, I mean, if you're taking a, a transfer and they're not going to do anything in their one year, I mean, that that's a bad get. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think the obvious one is uh, Lance Terry, Georgia Tech. I mean, they are so far in the bottom. I didn't even really look this way. Uh, but what's what's your main qualm with Mr. Terry? That he was already at the right level, Gardner Webb. How about how, how here's an easy one. Jaheim Cornwall was a clearly better player than Lance Terry. Jaheim Horn Cornwall went up to Penn State, and he was one of the worst high major players in the country. He averaged 2.4 points a game. He shot 24% from the field. He turned it over more than he had assists. I get he's small, but now your answer is, okay, we're going to recruit Lance Terry, who was the second best player on an average Gardner Webb team. DeMorian Williams was the best player. And, and, and Lance Terry is what? He's a six foot two, six foot two combo guard. It's really more of a two guard, straight two guard. He averaged 1.2 assists per game last year. Negative assists to turnover. Right? Like, Gardner-Webb didn't have two high major guards. If Gardner-Webb had two high major guards and Gardner-Webb went 18 and 13, Tim Kraft is not a very good basketball coach. And I truly believe that Tim Kraft is a very good basketball coach. So, like, you're going to take a six foot two scoring guard who's not an elite shooter or has only been an elite shooter once in his career. He's 36% on his career. He had one 44% year last year, and that was nine games. You're telling me that that kid is going to help Georgia Tech in the ACC? Yeah, no. Like, they needed more there. I, I like uh, – who's the kid from South Alabama? J- Javon Franklin, super athletic, energy. I know he didn't play really. Um, but, you know, I – you needed more at the shooting guard spot to give yourself a fighting chance. And I just don't think they did that. Yeah, I I have Georgia Tech last. I mean, I, I guess there is a scenario where they're not that bad if, you know, Debian Smith and 
Dallin Coleman and Franklin's good. You know, these guys turn it around. Uh, but they they haven't had a lot of luck with the transfers. Like, Sturdivant was solid if memory serves. Smith was a little disappointing. Rodney Howard was disappointing. Uh, but there's just kind of a lot of dead weight here, a lot of guys that were just okay um, that are occupying this lineup. And, you know, like, like what you said with Jerry and Gardner-Webb, in, in transfer portal season, we see this a lot, where it's like, wait a minute. Like, well, Sal has now two guys going high major with Jack Clark to NC State and Clifton Moore to Providence. And I'm sure if Josh Nickelberry hit the portal, I'm sure he would have been a high major guy. Um, so it's, the, the market gets a little weird sometimes. Very weird. Very, 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 very weird. Do you have any other ACC? That's yes, lastly, um, and this will be a, a hot take uh, because most people, I'm sure, would put this guy on the other side of the ledger. But Ben, ben Vanderplas for, for Virginia. They already had a starting front court. This, this, is, this is bad get because of what? So, so you have a starting front court already coming back. This is a Virginia team where their strength is always guys being in the system multiple years. Um, and Vanderplas, he this is one year of eligibility, right? Correct. So you're going to take a grad transfer who's probably going to come off the bench. He doesn't get to be in the system multiple years. You have a top 75 recruit at the four that you could potentially alienate if he's the fifth big, which it looks like he is now, and Isaac Trout. Like, I guess you could always use more shooting, and if he comes in and plays 15 minutes a game and you're better, I'm sure you you think that he was a worthwhile addition. But how how much was this addition worth to not develop your younger talent, and how much is he really going to play over, like, Gardner, Shedrick, and... And how good will he be as a one-year Virginia guy? So I think he fits Virginia. I also think he fit Wisconsin, which was one of the other finalists. Like, it definitely struck me as, like, he knew the type of program he should be in and chose that one, but didn't really, like, vibe with, like, the whole rotation. I guess guess for me, at the end of the day, like, I can't call this a bad get, just like I can't call Jack Nunji a bad get, because I think he's, like, a useful high-major player. He proved it. He beat Virginia in the NCAA tournament um, when he was at Ohio. Like he's a legitimately very good player. He can stretch. He can pick a pop. He can uh, handle the ball a little bit. He can pass. Like he's a good player. He will help them offensively. The idea, like of an opportunity cost, right? Whether it means you know taking Shedrick off the floor occasionally or Shedrick. I, I apologize. Um, whether taking Shedrick off the floor, whether that's you know not getting Trout minutes or Trout potentially transferring because I like Isaac Trout. Right, like all these things, like yes, I understand those opportunity calls. I just can't call it a bad get, but I I get what you're saying. I, I agree. It it is certainly on the weird transfer list. I'll put it that way. Right, because how, how many times have we seen the Virginia prediction comes out in the preseason, and the new guys we always overrate them. Yeah, probably since Kyle Guy, um, who was properly rated in the preseason. Every other newcomer, right? Saw so last year with Armand Franklin and Jaden Gardner. Seen in the past with Beekman, um, 
you know, the, the whole point of Virginia, I mean, even guys like Jack Salt, who spend the first few years totally in, in, in obscurity just running around setting screens, you know, become super valuable as, as upperclassmen in the Virginia system because they were in it for so long. You know, guys like Darian Atkins as well. Um, so I think you want the guys like a Shedrick and Kafaro who, you know, are in their third or fourth year in the program, even if they don't, even if they haven't always looked the part in the past. Yeah, fair enough. All right, I'm going to move on to the Big 12. Any objections there? Go for it. All right, uh, I'll lead with one that I think we're probably in agreement on. We don't need to talk about it. It's on Kale Lohner. Baylor. Yes. Bridge too high, right? And again, maybe he fits culturally. Maybe he uh, is a guy who can kind of re like reignite that freshman year form where he was that like productive rebounding forward who could be finished around the road, had a little bit of scale, wasn't, you know, super bouncy off the ground. I just like, don't see this fit at all. Right. Like, I, don't, I don't know that he's a five. I don't know that he's a Baylor four. I, I don't see his value add to get on the floor. Yeah, it's another one where in 2012, there'd be no questions asked. Jordan Turner is the backup four man. He's the ninth man. Or or Zach Loveday, uh, if they're going bigger. Uh, but in today's era, it's, well, we can upgrade, so we will upgrade. Um, but Loner isn't that good, and we're not sure what, Really, he adds to this team, except as being potentially a little bit better and a little more tape on him than Turner and Loveday. Yeah. Do you have one you want to add to the mix here? Big 12. Yes, I have. I'm ignoring Kansas State. I don't think we need to, like, we kind of just generally agree that the class isn't talented enough. But All right. This, this, This one might be a hot take as well. Trey Mitchell. West Virginia. No, 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 no. I mean, he's, who, he's who, gonna be an all-conference player. All-conference player. Yeah, he'll be oh one of the fifteen God. best players in this league. Yes. This is a dude that I'm all in. With Texas, when he was like a starter, at least playing like at least half the game, and he, he's doing the weird stuff at UMass with like he's a, he's going there as a top hundred recruit with his stepdad, and he's. And I don't they, blame him Texas for Tony a little Berger. bit of a, I don't know. blame him for Tony Bergeron. I mean, he was playing in Texas and he still quit the team. I know. And now he's going to this West Virginia team that prefers the physical big to the skill big. They they have much more success with like the Jimmy Bell, Muhammad Wagu types that are going to be behind Mitchell. I think Trey Mitchell is going to be awesome. I think it's a great fit. I think with the roster that they have, with their guards, they needed a guy who could score. I'm like low key buying a little West Virginia. Buying a little West Virginia. Old I could see court with Toussaint and Johnson. I know it's Eric Stevenson, but this team is old as hell. They've got a good big man in Trey Mitchell. Yeah, sign me up. E- e- even if Mitchell's counting stats are good, I don't think West Virginia is going to be good. Okay. I think this is like an NIT type of roster. I think they're a tournament team. Uh, I don't, I don't want to like. I, don't, I haven't done enough of like a. Yeah, have you have you done out of top fifty yet? For, I've for done that, top twenty five, and they really weren't considered for that. And if they weren't considered, that means there's no they're no lock to be a tournament team. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge a little bit. But like, if I could get odds, like if I could get like plus one fifty 
West Virginia tournament, or like plus one eighty. I think I would do it. Yeah, this, this would, is kind of, I don't know if I would do it even money for a prop bet. I don't know if I would do it even money for our props, but I think I think I kind of I kind of mess with it. This is kind of similar to me calling Cole Swider a bad get last year, where my whole thing with Swider was, yeah, I mean, he can really shoot. He's going to be great on offense. But Syracuse had enough shooting. Their defense is going to suck, and there's no way Syracuse is going to make the tournament. With Mitchell, it's like, yeah, he's their best big. Yeah, he's legit skilled. But, like, he just quit off a good Texas team last year while he was playing. His style of play, I don't really see it meshing with Huggins, unless he's going to play the four. Which I guess he could. But e- e- even with a successful power forward, Trey Mitchell, I I think West Virginia is a clear ninth here in the in in the Big Twelve. So that's a that's a bad get for me. Okay. Um, my last one in the Big Twelve is relatively minor, but I think Caleb Asbury and Russell Harrison are reaches at Oklahoma State, and they could have done better. Okay. I, I saw the weave had Harrison starting. There, the weave the weave is very in on Oklahoma State. I might have Oklahoma State ninth. I I think that their defense is going to be really good. And then they need Thompson to take a step, and they need John Michael Wright to be like a good good point guard. Um, which all all the thing with all these mid major transfers these days, like we were talking Jameer Young earlier. Average 19 points a game. John, John Michael Wright averaged 19 points a game. Mark Sears averaged 20. Jelly Walker averaged 20. Like, all, all these guys put up numbers. It, it, it's, it's so difficult to kind of suss out who's going to translate, who's actually good, you know, who, who's just on a bad team. John Michael Wright gave Northwestern some buckets, but I don't know that I would say he's, like, uneasily translatable. He's, like, an undersized scoring guard to me. Those usually don't end up going great moving up. Hey, Oklahoma State loves combo guards and athletic bigs. That's it's true. That's your style. The DePaul, For, the stubble field. I have, um, I have one other Big 12 bad get. Go ahead. Um, and, and it's a theme. I don't take guys mid-year. I mean, Trey King might be good. Mm-hmm. But given who Iowa State added, it's clear that they don't like want Trey King. I think they might have thought that Trey King could play this past year. Right, because... And they were trying Kuntz to make a push for the term. Kuntz is back, and you added Hassan Ward and Shunni and Robert Jones back from last year. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like they, they wanted Trey King. Um, I mean, someone's trying to take some thoughts. I guess, I guess what the hell... I, and, Seems like when he when he was on Georgetown, people were pretty bullish on him. Um, so maybe he can establish himself as a starting foreman and go for Iowa they State. Played, but... They played Xavier in 2020, and Trey King looked freaking monstrous for Eastern Kentucky. Do, do you think that they take Hassan Ward, though, if Trey King was ready to be the starting power forward? Do they take Hassan Ward if they knew they were getting a shooting a shooting? No. You take what you can get. The uh, King one, I'm, I'm a little un, uh, uneasy with, but in general, these these mid-year guys, you, you just have to stay away. Fair. 
Big East, we go. Speaking of mid-year guys, another one I had on my list was Wayne Bristol for Georgetown. Same, same exact yeah, thing. That was a disaster. And you know they they go out and they 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 take uh, Bryson Mazzone. They take a cook who's going to play the four. Maybe Ezawiro plays some four. Uh, I I put Ezawiro on my list as well. Just you know you have Wahab and Matembo and what's he your is he a four? Is he a five? Is he your third big? Like yeah, he, he didn't play at all at, at LSU so. And what's going on there? I guess I would. Uh, the only reason why it's less bad is that like they wound up having a bunch of roster spots and it didn't matter. But like Wayne Bristol, like like I I almost think Wayne Bristol would have been a worse take if they taken the net. You know what I mean? Right? Like they were just yeah. sitting there like, oh well, there's a shooter out there. We might as well take him. Which I think is a bad strategy. But like if they had done that, knowing who else was out there, it almost be worse. And like maybe Bristol and Ezuiro will be cool and you know with with not playing and, and they'll be good good teammates, but but I still think if you're going to fill out the roster, those those back spots got to be freshmen. 11, Probably 12, true. 13. Probably true. Um, did I have any big Big East ones? I feel like I didn't really. I mean, like you love the Joey Tucker ad because he can practice helps you practice. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, like, whatever. I mean, how are they going to make two competitive teams of practice? <laughs> God, I love you. Um, I don't know that there was anyone else that I had on this list in the Big East. I'm trying to go through and make sure I'm not missing anyone obvious. I have, I have one more. Is it... Is it Abdu NGI? No, I think that was a fine take. I mean, yeah, we're also I'm also giving I'm grading on a curve for all these centers. Like Munir Hema, bad get. Abdu NGI, bad get. Um Nigel Poteet, Virginia Tech, bad get. Um like all I, these are bad gets, but that's because there was no other big men. This was who was available to get. These aren't high major players, right? Like Virginia Tech should not be taking the backup center from Rice, but they needed a center. He was available. Okay, I guess. You know? I think the NGI things for next year. I think he's gonna basically sit this year. I don't know if he can officially register or not, but um, Samuel, Nadefo, and Yetna are all done after this yeah. year. So, so I think that's sure. oh, that was the move there. Uh, my other bad get in the Big East was Andre Curbelo. Oh no 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 no! Worth a shot. Worth a shot. I mean, you're moving Curbelo your best play. Has gotten a little too off the rails in my opinion. I mean, he he was really bad last year, even prior to the concussion. Now that was limited games, but he doesn't shoot it. You already had Posh. That that backcourt is not going to fit. Yeah, you can try to explain it away. How, however, they explained it to Posh, where now he's on board. Uh, before he was liking tweets about transferring to UConn. Um, those there's just not not enough shooting there that. They, they don't complement each other well. Like, if you had Posh, and instead of Curbelo, you were able to get, um, I don't know, like, Noah Locke or something, I, I think they, the Giants would be in much better shape. Fair enough. <coughs> um, Big Ten. 
I have a couple of like easy ones like low hanging fruit that I don't that I'll partially attribute to the big man market, but will hedge with the fact that Northwestern's at least case was it was very early. Northwestern taking Titus Verhoeven was pretty brutal. Um, and then Mikey Hannett, Penn State, same thing, and Patrick Amelian at Maryland. Amelian and Hen were like super late, just kind of plug in, plug in, like we need a big right now and you're available. The, the tightest one was like relatively earlier in the process. So I'm more critical of Northwestern on that front. But in general, again, this is just like the big man market. So I try not to be like too, too, too down on it. But I don't think any of those guys are like all that close to high major players. So. Hey, Mikey Hen's seventh year senior. Yes. On his fifth division one school, which is pretty sick. They just want him to stretch the floor. I mean, he might play a fair amount, but I. I think he's just gonna hunt hunt threes. Yep. I mean, it, it's frustrating because you look. I have Penn State and Auburn right next to each other in my depth charts, and Auburn has Janai Broom, Yahan Treor, Dylan Cardwell, and Akinbola. I mean, Akinbola would have been a great starting center for Northwestern, for Penn State, you know, for a bunch of these teams that find Akin themselves. Akinbola would have gotten NIL. Yeah. I can bowl it when you paid. Benjamin Boston for Donk, dude. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Where, where, where would you go? I, I have no Big Ten players. Really? Wow, yeah. look at the Big Ten. Full approval, full marks. I'll, I'll, I'll add one more in the Big Ten that I think you'll forget. You'll, you'll, you'll regret not putting on there. Uh, Kamari McGee. What? Huh? He, he's, he's probably starting, right? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't come off the bench. Uh, who, who do you have as the fifth star? Do you have Jordan Davis or Jacoby Neath? Jordan Davis. Brett, Kamara McGee's a six-foot non-point card who shot 39% from the field and 28% from three, uh, who averaged 12 points a game on a really, really, really dreadful Green Bay team. I'm kind of torn on this Wisconsin team. Wisconsin just had a top 10 pick at shooting guard. And the best you could do was Kamari McGee and Max Klesman. I like Max Klesman. Max Klesman has a strap. Max Klesman's going to make shots. But Kamari McGee, again, this was also taken super early. Like, I think this was, like, before the season ended, uh, done. Like, like before, like, I think it was still March. If not, it was early April. Like, Taking Kamari McGee when the whole world is available to you, potentially, right after Johnny Davis was a huge miscalculation in my standpoint. I I agree with that. Um, I I've never seen McGee play, but Wisconsin needs somebody to plug up these minutes. So um, we'll see. You know, from from a Wisconsin kind of macro perspective. I, I really like Hepburn and Wall. I think that they could both make a jump. Crowd's yeah. fine. You like Klesman. Yeah. If they can just get competent play at the two or the three, you know, maybe maybe they can have enough in, in internal improvement to return to the tournament, kind of like they did last year. Uh, they, you know, neither Wall nor Hepburn's going to be an NBA draft guy like Johnny Davis was, but I think that there is a path for them to be. Solid again. Fair enough. To the Pac-12. Um, 
couple here. Um, I have one to lead off things, which is, and again, we're not going to do Oregon State, like same thing. Like, well, what are we doing here with Dimitri Reuni, Rivni? I think is how it's pronounced. Like, there, there's no chance, right? But again, Big Ben Market is Oregon State, whatever. I mean, that I, I'm sure you probably have it as bad yet, Brad. But no, okay, cool. I didn't. Um, I didn't even look at Oregon State. I have I have Dewan Clayton from Cal, um, former Coppin State guard, then transferred to Hartford and did not play last year or played like only a couple of games because he was hurt. And now is getting the year back. Think think about that. That the the market the market told Dewan Clayton he was uh Hart, he was he was Hartford level a year ago, and then he did nothing, and the market then said you were good enough to play at Cal. I guess they just wanted that veteran backup who like wanted to stay another year in college. He's bad. He's probably better than Joel Brown. That's the scary thing. You see, um, Houston and Vanderbilt did that last well, yeah, week. Thirteenth man, they took Sidarius Bowser, and then Vanderbilt took Emmanuel Ansong. Yes, yeah, this dude is hanging out there. Who has another year of eligibility? Who was like, Houston was like, we need a practice big man. Uh, Vanderbilt's was like, we're desperate. We need talent. We'll roll the dice, I think. The Houston guy, he starts like half the games, plays like 18 minutes a game all four years, has like a good rebound percentage, physical. All right. Why not? Um, do you have a Pac-12 bad yet? I have lots of Pac-12 ones, I think. Um, Fire away. Maybe not lots, but I, I have Ben Carlson to start. Yep, I was horrible for Wisconsin. He was horrible in high school. I've watched him play. He was on D1 Minnesota when I first got enamored with Dawson Garcia. Uh, what they, they were what level would you have liked Ben Carlson going to? Like, would you have been like, oh, whatever, like the Loyola Colorado State type program? Yeah. Mid-plus he was just ahead. firing jumpers and just clang. He was nowhere close on any of these jumpers. He didn't have good touch around the rim. He looked like intimidated out there uh, yeah. playing EYBL. He somehow was a top 100 recruit, and I and I said at the time I was like, because a lot of people had penciled him in. I think as maybe even as a starter as a freshman, or at least a key piece. And I said, no, uh, he's gonna stink freshman sophomore year. Maybe we need an upperclassman to like catch the Wisconsin magic and kind of you know be be a key piece, kind of like Stephen Crowell, who was also on that team. And, and I I didn't like Crowell either. Uh, thought Crowell was better than Carlson, but. Uh, now, now Carlson, after flopping at Wisconsin, is going to Utah. Well, I guess Utah wants him to be the backup center. I guess I, I have him as the starting power forward. Starting power forward, yes. Yeah, tough, tough to tell how uh, Craig Smith's going to use him. Um, but like, he not only did I not like him in high school, he kind of proved me right in college. Um, and this is not a Utah team that's just filling in the gaps, you know. They need talent. They're probably, you know, ninth or tenth in the Pac-12 this year uh, on paper with his current roster. Um, they need more talent, and this—that's—that's that's not more talent. All right. Do you have any others? Because I think uh, I have Braxton Mia from Washington. Again, big yeah, man me market, too. Or, yeah, big man market was dreadful. So, bit of a hedge, but. But they had this is the same thing as a Dusan Moracic for um, NC State. 
where Washington has Jackson Grant, who is a top like 50 recruit. They have Frank Kepnang, who I actually like. I think he might be pretty good this year as a starting yeah, I'm, center. I messed with Frank Kepnang, yeah. Kepnang. And then they got a, a third center in there as well. Uh, I don't know. I guess I guess my only way the only the only area I defend them with is this, right? Like somewhat of a last stand here for Hop. Um we're critical of Chris Collins for bringing three scholarships to the grave and not just like rolling dice rolling the dice and taking his pieces. Right? Like Hop rolls the dice, he's like, ah, whatever, seven footer, give it a shot, might be productive. Maybe you know, like, like add game, a scorer know? instead with that spot. I agree. I agree. I agree. More guard help, sure. Even but, the dude who went to Cal. You watched Juan Clayton, Washington. <laughs> Good lord, it is. I, I'm just like amazed by that. Like, I feel like as a coach, my alarm bells would go off. Like, and maybe maybe I should be more like objective evaluator of film. Maybe they screwed up the first time, and he actually was a tackle player all along. But like, just like the entire like like if you're Mark Fox, like you really have to come back with your, your tail between your legs when you're like, all right, well. We can get this kid that like transferred to Hartford last offseason and didn't do anything. It's gonna be pretty rough. It is, but you know the the uh, veteran backup point guard. We only have a couple more years of this before the COVID year is gone. Oh yeah, oh so, yeah. I I uh, hope more teams take advantage. Hey, um, some more back twelve ones here. Let's go. So we said. Braxton Mias, and then the only other Pac-12 one I, I have is Jabe Mullins for Washington State. Oh, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like this one. Lots of spots. It's Washington this... State. He was a good recruit, and I think like his shooting numbers weren't bad. My like... my qualms with it was, you know, he he couldn't carve out a role. It was a good St. Mary's team, but at the end of the day, that's a that's a mid-major. And, he, yeah, he, he was a top 150 recruit. You're, you're Washington State. You, you need talent. I love the Justin Powell swing almost as much as any move in, you know, the whole transfer portal. I thought that was a perfect swing. But the, the backcourt's a little light on talent. I, and the, this is a, a Pac-12 team. That should be solid. You know, this should be like an NIT type of team, I think, if things break slightly optimistically. I think there was a spot there for a either a bench score or a starting two guard with a little more polish, you know, a yeah. little more results in his past than the I would. I, I would have liked someone more proven. I would have liked someone who had more scoring history. But... I will give the carve out. This is a Washington native who want, probably wanted to be a Washington State. Uh, right? He's got good size. He shot 37% from three this past season for a team that was, you know, beat Gonzaga, was a top 25 caliber team or close. And out of high school, he was like a well-regarded recruit he was top 150 in 24 7 he was recruited by good you know high major programs and top mid-majors right like if you're Washington state like they're probably gonna go like like look at the way the rest they fill out the rest of their roster 
right? It was like obviously the, the Justin Powell thing, but it was like international kid Mael Hamon Crespin, right? Like they took like a couple of internationals. They've kind of always done this. They've done like the mid plus high school kids with Miles Rice. Um, I, I just kind of I don't hate being like all right. I've got three years el- eligibility on this like good recruit who's from here who want to be here. Um, I don't call it a bad get. I'm not like enthralled by it, but I don't. I can't rise to bad. Should we move to the SEC? Yeah, we should. We'll start with Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk. Yes. I, well, mean, I think even with Gigi big man Jackson, market, big man market, but sure. Even with Gigi Jackson, I think he's still a starting center, right? Yeah, he'll start Gigi Jackson at the four, Gigi four, and, four, and Verdonk at the five. I mean, he got sporadic minutes at Illinois. I think he spent some time in the rotation, but he was just kind of like a whatever kind of undersized glue guy big. Um, and th- this is not the type of swing you need. I, you know, I, I would rather see the Jay Mullen swing for South Carolina than just getting this kind of blob role player. You know? Um, yes and no. Like, at some point, you need to be able to play a basketball game, right? Like, a coach has to be able to like allocate minutes. And at some point, like, South Carolina's going to be able to allocate 20 minutes to Benjamin Bosman for dunk. How well would it go? I don't know. But I do think there's a little bit of value there. And so, from that perspective, I try not to be like, oh, this is awful. While simultaneously being not enthralled by the whole thing. Let's put it that way. Do you, do you have any SEC? I do. Um, my big one was Ezra Mannion from Van, from UC Davis going to Vanderbilt. I just don't think Ezra Mannion's good enough. Um, I know that I, – I understand, like, desperate need a point guard, but they didn't find out last second that Scotty Pippen was going pro. Like, I know they worked it a little bit, but this has been kind of known – He's a five foot eleven, generously listed point guard who averaged under four assists a game, over two and a half turnovers a game, shot twenty percent from three, has shot twenty-two percent the previous year from three, right? Like that archetype is scary. Right. And, and, and I know he's been coached well. Jim Les is a good coach, but like we're in a run. I got a potential last stack house stand you're going to run your point guard as five foot 11 non-shooter Ezra Mannion. That's tricky to me. Who do you have coming in last in the SEC Vanderbilt or South Carolina? Oh, probably. It's tough. Vanderbilt. Probably. I agree, but it is very close. Yeah. Um, I also had, and again, none of these are bad gets. This is another one where like you have to be so frustrated as like a fan of wanting to even things out. Just weird gets. Where I think there are certain, I guess the way I would frame it is this. There are certain teams where you can look at the portal class they put together and it, it makes very logical sense in terms of like, they clearly kind of had this in mind. They wanted to get these things they wanted to fill these spots this is what they needed and there are other teams where it just seems like okay there's a player available i think we can get him 
let's recruit him. Um, and that's how you wind up with rosters like Ole Miss, where you somehow get Theo Akuba center, probably starting caliber or close, um, big hulking shot blocking center. You get Javius McKinnis, swack, big hulking shot blocking four slash five. You get Josh Mbala, Buffalo, athletic, switchable four slash five rebounder, former defensive player of the year. What what are we doing here? You already have this, you already have Jamin Brakefield. You already have some other guys who are a little bit more, you know, who aren't great, but you have still a little bit of size elsewhere. What What is going on with these three? What, how are we going to work out these minutes? If we do it, if, if we work out these minutes, so everyone's happy, we're going to have no spacing. That's my take on this. Yeah, I also had Javius McKinnis as one of my bad gets. I think Ole Miss is going to be good, actually. Yeah, I think that they'll make Ooh. the tournament. Ooh, spicy. Matthew Merrill averaged 16 points a game in SEC play. Ruffin should be healthy, right? Theoretically. Uh, I, I saw James White had a big foreign uh, performance. That was, that was kind of their, their one question mark was, like, who's the starting three? And, and, and they have a few nice options. But uh, if White can hold that down, that would solve that. They have, they have Ty, Ty Fagan, who's been around forever. Miles Burns from NAIA. Uh, they have a couple talented freshmen. Uh, and then White, who was a top 150 recruit last year. Um, and then I, I, I like the front court. I, I just don't get where McKinnis fits in. Yes. Break. You could probably sell me on Akuba and Mbala. You could not sell me on Akuba Mwaba, or Mbala, not Mwaba. That's a different guy. Akuba, Mbala, and McKinnis. That was a bit right. of a tongue twister. And then Malik, Malik Ewen is a top 100 recruit as well. Yes. At, at, at the four or five. So. The McInnes one was a little of a reach, I think. And you know, what if Ewan transfers after this year because he's not going to play? You know, that that would be a kind of a sh- shooting yourself in the foot there. Yep. Um, Give me one here, Brad. What do you got? Texas A&M. Another really weird roster, um, but Anderson Garcia. Yeah. I mean, he's just a worse version of Dexter Dennis. I know you got Garcia first. Maybe he was the insurance. Uh, I for, for a roster that's just not that talented, right? Who's the best player on this team? Is it Manny Obaseki? Is it Henry Coleman? Wade Taylor. Uh, Wade Taylor, yeah. Uh, they have Radford as well. Radford, and, and, Radford's and, a good player. Let's not hate And uh, Dexter Dennis, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good starting five, but that's – at best, your best player is like a third best player. Yep. Um, and, and and you're burning the spot on a guy who did not play that great for a uh, middle of the pack SEC team. Uh, Anderson Garcia on Mississippi State. Figure this team could use some more scoring pop, and uh, they took a nice swing with KJ KK Robinson. Hayden Hefner came on strong last year. I like the the marble ad as an ad around the margin, but. Um, I don't really see what Garcia is adding to this group. Fair enough. I assume you have the Mitchell twins. No. 
Well, I like how? the Mitchell Twins. That's true. You do. I have the Mitchell Twins. We've kind of alluded to this in the, before. The entire strategy of two scholarships to basically fill one need, which is a cent- a backup center, is just bad business to me. Um, I get it probably doesn't matter because they'll probably just play one and sit one. And they've got, you know, Kamani Johnson, who's probably not going to play that much. you got Barry Dunning and Joseph Pinion, who are probably not going to play that much. Um, right? Whatever. But I have to object on the premise that taking two players to get one player who's probably still not the starter is not good business. Do you have any other SEC ones? Yeah, I had, I had one more. Um I have Cam Hayes for LSU. Okay, fair. But these non-shooting point guards, they just never work. They always disappoint. And you were starting fresh, and I, you had to build this whole team from the ground up. And you needed that second point guard. I, I, I get that, but I, I just don't see how Cam Hayes is going to be good. Especially, you added your own point guard for Murray State with Juice Hill who's presumably going to start over Cam Hayes, this, this is, does not feel like it's going to work at all. Yeah, I gave passes there and to Mizzou for a couple of their guys, particularly um, DeAndre Golston, of like, okay, you had a million spots to fill. I get it. You know, is there a little bit of opportunity cost? Potentially, but they were ready and willing to sign and – that was one less spot to fill, and I kind of get it. So I have three more. Um, not not SEC, but in, in general. Okay, mid-majors, yes. Uh, we'll start with VCU Zeb Jackson. Yeah, this is an early pull, right? This is a team that needed a talent upgrade, especially at the three or at the five. I'm fine with Brandon Johns being your five. You know, that's that doesn't excite me, but it's fine. But the fact that we're going to roll out either a freshman or one of these lightly used wings like Josh Banks or this guy David Shriver, who I believe is coming from Hartford. Is that right? He's a shooter, yeah. Big shooter. Jackson has the size to play the three. But he completely flopped in Michigan, never got any, any traction there. I mean, this is a good VCU program. They have great fan support. They're in the tournament seemingly very often. And they could have really used, like, just a solid three-man. Jackson's not that. I, I am no Zeb Jackson fan. I don't feel the need to bash Zeb Jackson more because I just don't think he's a good basketball player. Um, who else do we want to hit on here? I did Wyoming Jake Kaiman. No, no, no. How? That's a great get. How was that a great get? Because Jake Kaiman's a proven high major level shooter who could play the four and space the floor for Grammy Gay and Hunter Mullen. He was not in the rotation for UCLA for most of the year. But he was good enough to play in the Pac-12. Would Washington have been glad to have Jake Kyman this past year? Yes. I mean, he's, he's very one-dimensional. And 
I, I'm not sure if he's better than the wings. Like, I I think Ag- Agbon Polo is much better. Agbon Polo is good, yes. Odin and Wenzel, who just played this past year, I think those guys could be better. But how is it a bad thing to add a f- guy who got on the floor at UCLA who can shoot? Because I don't think he's going to help the, help the team. I think he, he is... Like like a double of what they already have. I I couldn't think of the the, the actual word to use. This is my this is my first like vehement disagreement here. I'm horrendously offended by it. Now, if if he was willing to redshirt this year, maybe I'd be in on no. it. You know, it no. sit one play one. Jake Kleiman's gonna average like eleven points a game. I don't think he's gonna play that much. <laughs> we'll see. Well, listen, all right, you have – now, you have Ethan Anderson as well, who you're adding into the mix. He's not replacing anybody. He's an addition. You have Maldonado, who, who because Anderson's there, Maldonado's going to play more on the wing. You have three guys who played last year, right, with Odin, Wenzel, and Xavier Dussel. And Agbon Polo is definitely going to play. Kaiman's going to play, like, 15 minutes a game and just be, like – an afterthought. I, I, I just like I, I, I. There's no like getting around this. We're just gonna like have to agree, like agree to disagree. Like, I guess the only way really would be for me to like text one of the assistants right now and be like, "Is my is Jake timing gonna start?" But there's also like, we also have to be careful because, of course, the uh, Jace Johnson Ed Morrow fallacy is always pertinent. So, right. And I, I mean, Kime is not going to add defensively what Odin and Wenzel would, right? That's fair. Um, I have okay. one more bad get um, that I'll throw in here, and then I'll let you wrap up. Cool. I had Elijah McCadden. Oh, for Memphis. Yeah, that that felt very obvious to me. They took him early. I know they had spots, but this is a pot. I got more turnovers than this. This guy does. That's a huge red flag. Um, not like a gigantic score, not on a winning team. Um, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know if there's a connection. Like, what am I missing? All I know is that I did not think Elijah McCadden was a high major player. And he, at one point, looked like he had to start. Now they have Keontae Kennedy. Now they have Emmanuel Acott. Now they're probably okay. And it doesn't matter that much. But he's still potentially in the rotation. So, Yeah, who do you like as a Memphis eighth man? McCadden, Jonathan Lawson, or Jaden Hardaway? I mean, I'm I'm baffled looking at this because I I think we must have different starting lineups. So I have I, Dave, I have Davis, Kennedy, Acott, Williams, Dandridge with me too. Ko, Chandler, Lawson, Lomax, and McCadden as six through nine, uh, and then Jaden Hardaway, Jonathan Lawson, and then the late international pickup Ian Granja. I. I wasn't including Chandler Lawson. I think maybe washed. Is he gone? No, no, no. He's on the team, but like last year, he was like a complete non-entity. <laughs> oh, you just think he's he's washed up? I, I, I think he's too injured. Because he was he good at Oregon. Bad? Well, well, how bad was his injuries? I feel like he wasn't hurt that bad. He 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 didn't look the same as as it, as he did at Oregon. That's why. Uh, and then hmm. and. and and then you stuck around. Fair um, enough. 
And then, and then lastly for me, staying in the American, I had Rob Finnessy for Cincinnati. No. Oh. You're a Rob yeah. Finnessy okay. guy? Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. So you had Adams Woods. You yes. have Finnessy. They're both like these like game manager. Like, where where's the explosion? Where's the scoring pop in this point guard duo? Why do you have both of them? Aren't, aren't they too similar? And Tennessee Th- was like struggling at, struggling at Indiana. I think he, what's he going to do with Cincinnati that he couldn't do at Indiana, you know? I just think Rob Tennessee is a high major point guard. And I agree the fit is a little funky, but you have the Julius. Adams Woods is big. He's like 6'3", 6'4". Um, you added some scoring with Landers Nolly. You know that Davenport can make shots. I don't have any objection to Mr. Fantasy. I, I guess if, if he's cool with being the backup point guard, then this well, is a good backup point guard. I have him starting and then Victor Lockin being – or not Victor uh, Mika Adams-Woods being the sixth man. Yeah, then this was a disaster. And, and the rest of this team is good. Like, the, this is a good roster. They just needed, like, a good – point guard to kind of shepherd them. But, and if you don't think it's Adams Woods and, and you think Tennessee's the answer, then you know, this is NIT Cincinnati. I'm sorry. Who are you getting? Who are you getting at Cincinnati? Rob Finnessy played for one of the Cincinnati assistants, Mike Roberts. Um, he's relatively local. Who are you getting that is clearly better than Rob Finnessy at Cincinnati? What about this guy was in the portal for a minute. What about Sh- Shaquille Moore. Shaquille Moore. Or Deshaun Davis. Shaquille Moore is substantially better. Yeah. I don't agree what, with that. Deshaun Davis. Rudy Williams more than these guys? Last year. Eric Hunter. I, 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 I like Eric Hunter more well, than Why Rob is Tennessee? Eric Hunter substantially better than Rob Vinci? They're basically the same player. So I think Hunter has more scoring chops. I think he's a better shooter. I don't think either guy has any scoring chops. What about Jarkel Joyner? Jarkel Joyner's a shooter. He's not a point guard. Again, what? I think it's very presumptuous to say that you're beating Mississippi State and NC State for recruits. Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a, not a, guarantee. a big program. I'm sure they got some NIL. Not a guarantee. I mean, Landers Nolly was NC State or Cincinnati. He's going to Cincinnati. I know. But it's no guarantee they're they're on the same tier. You're not you're you don't get Landers Nolly ten out of ten times in Cincinnati. You're playing in the like, America for another year. I mean, it was about practice that Clemson didn't get a point guard. As I'm scrolling through these guys, Clemson not getting a point guard is pretty brutal. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I don't Missouri should have shared one of Nick Honor or Sean East. I'm not sure if that's better. They should have sent Nick Honor back. Yeah. Yeah, they should have. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're returning you. <laughs> 90-day return policy. It's like a mattress. Try to Rondell Walker. He's going to be like the eighth man at TCU. I mean, he got screwed with the time. Yeah. At the time, Rondell Walker was like a good get, but then it's just like, yeah, well. Right, because Damian Ball was going to leave. Which right. Never never made any sense. I mean, yeah, TCU is the king of the, this guy's leaving and it makes no sense. 
oops, they lied. They're coming. Yeah. <laughs> they were so sure of themselves, too. Like, Damian Baugh was so sure that he was going to be a pro. And, it, like, he got his feedback. He's like, bro, you're, like, going to be playing in Bulgaria next year. Okay, fine. I'll come back to Josh. How about this? Would, would you rather take a, a flyer on K.K. Robinson or, or have Rob Finnessy? Uh, Rob Finnessy. No, give, give me my flyer. I like KK, but, like, again, you're trying to win basketball. Like, they needed, like, proven minutes. They need another guy. Mediocrity. Huh? We need, you need excitement. You need some pop. Yes, because you're not a coach. Yeah, the coach that wants the guy that knows the plays, yeah. Yes. He's going to average, like, four points a game. That matters. play, like, 30 minutes a game. The old <laughs> – the old Aaron Thompson with all oh, the leadership. Oh, yeah. Yes. His leadership. He's just a winner. Until I guarantee Tomar we're getting Rob Finnessy winner game I guarantee season. it. Rob Finnessy, there's going to be at least three articles written about how Rob Finnessy is such a winner and it helps. Guaranteed. Lock it in. Yeah, Micah Adams Woods did not shoot the ball well last year. Nine, nine points a game, though. That... He's a good player. He was always a little too good for Sienna. Sienna kept hoping in one day that he'd, you know, not work out at the high major and have to transfer down. He never did. He stuck. He made it. Anything else you want to hit on this podcast? I feel like we could punt on scheduling for another week, given that we've... Well, how about Cal Perry says he can't play in small gyms because he's going to lose, which is just... What, what a ridiculous okay. comment. I, re- I respect it, though. And I respect it purely from, like, the willingness to say it, right? Like, I mean, why would they lose except for the fact that, like, they don't play in a 6,000-seat arena, so they're inherently on the road? And, like, I guess they, 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 right. Well, they, well so, so Calipari's, like, like, the Kentucky fan, like, replies were, like, in my mentions. And this dates back all the way to, like, at Memphis when, you know, they, at Memphis they play downtown, they play where the Grizzlies play. And so he basically was like, well, you know, we're playing downtown, so you guys should have to play downtown in Spokane. And so then, like, Kentucky happened, and someone was like, well, well, Rupp Arena, like, isn't on Kentucky's, like, main campus or whatever, which I don't know if that's true. I'm actually, like, look on a map right now and see where Rupp is. Um, but they say, like, the, the, like, there's this, like, idea that, like, you know, Calipari, like, doesn't think he should have to play in, like, a true campus environment. Which yeah, it is true. Like yeah, like if you look where Rupp Arena is, like it's, it's exceedingly, like a bit away from where like actual campus is. Um, where is like University of Kentucky? I mean, the dunk isn't on Province's campus, but right. that's the. It's it's a mile and a half thing. from campus, so it's like Northwestern. Um, but so so. Basically, their take his take is like, well, we don't, we don't, you, we, why would we, we shouldn't have to plan your down in play on your campus since you're not going to play on our campus, which is like a preposterous thing because the whole point is it's home and home, right? Like, Mark Few isn't saying Kentucky, you should have to play in Louisville or you should have to play in like another gym, like a high school gym in Lexington, or like you should have to play in like, you know whatever suburb right like i don't know yeah louisville, let's say louisville right like louisville is probably the closest city like you guys have to play in louisville and we'll play you guys in you know seattle or we'll play you guys in you know whatever 
yeah, we'll play you in Cordelline. Like, we'll play you in like, one of these, like, outskirts that he won't even say Spokane. Like, he's not saying that. He's like, you're playing in your home gym, so we should just get to play in our home gym. And that's my take on it. Like, it should be, like, it should be true home and home. But I also respect Tyler Perry for, like, knowing, like, big dicking his way through this and being like, you know, like, I don't give a shit if people tweet mean things at me. Like, we can play this home and home series if we want. And, like, we can, like, they're going to say yes, right? Like, when presented with the choice of Gonzaga, like getting a home game against Kentucky that's like near campus, uh, but not on campus, and not getting a home game with Kentucky, every school in the country is going to say we will take the game against Kentucky, right? Like, right. Yeah. pull that from Maryland Eastern Shore all the way to probably North Carolina, right? Like, I mean, may, maybe not. Right. I, I guess there's probably like five blue bloods that are probably like, no, screw you but it also would not play home and home anyway. Right. Like they would just play in CBS sports classic or champions classic, whatever. Um, any other schools would be like, all right, whatever. Like if Arizona was offered, like, are we really like naive enough to say like if Arizona wasn't offered the same deal, they wouldn't say yes. Like, of course they'd say yes. So does it suck? Yeah. But do, do I respect Calipari just being like, I dare you to say no to this. Cause you're going to say yes. Yeah. I kind of respect it. No, he had all the leverage, but but the tweet is the part that just gets me. Like, he's like, anyone who wants us to play in a small arena wants us to lose. Like, why are you any worse at playing in a small arena? Because it's inherently a road game, and road games are tough. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I guess it's just like harder atmosphere, right? Like, it's going to be harder to play in front of six thousand, like mostly students, than play in what will be like a more corporate feeling gym. Even if it's, you know, 12,000 fans and it's 11,500 Gonzaga fans, it will be a different skew of crowd. It will be less right on your right right on your back. It will be a little less of a onslaught. And I think that does matter a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see how they fare in the in the spacious Spokane Arena. We shall indeed. Um, but it is great for the sport that we're getting that home and home. That one is November 20th. We also have Oregon versus Houston on November 20th uh, in Oregon and Eugene. We have the November 18th and 20th is the Vegas event. That's UCLA, Baylor, um, Illinois, and Virginia. You have uh, the 16th is um texas versus gonzaga in austin uh the 15th is champions classic the uh 21st through 23rd is maui which is an awesome field the 24th through 28th is pk5 like the stretch from november 15th to november 28th is just or 27th is just sick it is so sick like with the exception of like this two college football Saturdays built in there. And there'll still be like basketball on those days, but it just won't be as good. With the addition of the 19th and the 26th, these slates are going to be insane. Like every single night, there will be a high level college basketball game or two to watch, right? Like, like a Sunday doubleheader in November of Oregon, Houston and Gonzaga, Kentucky is sick. Like that's so elite. I mean, you were saying that the 19th isn't going to be that hot, but 
I believe Miami Providence at Mohegan Sun and oh, Maryland St. Hot and Maryland St. Louis at Mohegan Sun. There you go. Uh, yep. Um, and, and in between, you have like the you have the Gavit games from the 15th through the 18th, I believe. You have um, ACC Big Ten right on the heels of PK85. Um, you've got the Big 12 Big East battle right around that time period as well. Yeah, we have the 30th of November, Providence at TCU. Yeah. I believe the 29th is Baylor at Marquette. Yes, um, I'm going to go to that game. The only right, the, the only big issue that this year's slate has is that the first week is going to be brutal. It's just not going to be a good slate. It's going to be a lot of buy games. Uh, it's going to be a, like a slow start. The world is going to be, there's going to be a lot of like political focus with the midterm elections on that Tuesday. There's going to be like nothing that day, which usually this day after the first day of the season is slow anyway. So that's not a huge deal, right? Like realistically, usually that's, you know, like this past year, I think it was like Wednesday. The Thursday. We're brutal. Yeah. It's like the Paul Coppice day. And the next day it's like, I, I think that was the only day in the first like seven that I didn't go to a game. Uh, so I get it, but like the Monday, we're not getting Champions Classic. There aren't like a bunch of big home and homes or like neutral events. Like there's pretty much, I think, Vandy, Memphis, and like maybe one or two other high major games, and then buy games, right? So you're going to do that. Then you're going to have a really slow election day. You're probably not going to have a ton that Wednesday, the 9th. You'll probably have another more buy games. And it takes until you get to that day with the aircraft carrier game that you believe is doomed to fail and Wisconsin Stanford, where you start to get it going. But again, Go on the Friday. That's Friday, Friday the 11th. Yeah. And then yeah. Saturday is a college football Saturday. It'll be quieter. The Sunday, the 13th, is again where it starts to really pick up, leading into Champions Classic on the 15th. We need the master schedule. We need more of these non con schedules to come out so the ESPN schedule page can be populated. Yes. I'm excited, though. I'm really excited. Like, I, you know, you kind of see it in the future. We're less than 100 days away. Um, you know, I think we're at like 90 now, so fire me up for that. Um, so three straight, three months, you know, football for most of that. If you're a football fan, practices are coming. I was at a practice today. I almost went and saw Loyola practice before they head to France. We've got these international trips. I'm watching highlights of uh, Trayvon Brazil dunking. Um, I'm seeing tweets about it only being August because uh, Auburn lost to Israel. Uh who had two NBA players. Right. Like, no one has any one idea. Like, yeah. like, yeah, it was so absurd. And no one has any idea, like, how good Israel's team is. Like, I have no idea. Like, what's – like, who, who – you know, we, don't, we have an idea. I mean, obviously, it's speculative, but early in the season, at least, you have an idea. Like, okay, like, we're playing against this level of team. Right? We're playing a top 100 team. Yeah. When you play these international games, like, you don't know people's motivations. You don't know if everyone's sunburnt. You don't know if everybody – is ready to go home. You know, if everybody hates each other by the end of the trip and wants to be in their own rooms, you don't know if everybody is like loving each other. You don't know if everybody went out and partied. You don't know what the game prep was like. I didn't look and see what the rotations were for Auburn, right? Like, I have no idea. I know that there were two NBA players on the Israel team. I don't know the rest of their roster. I don't know what it was. No, what, like, I don't know how it worked. I don't know how good Denny Avdia is, right? Like, I, you know, you know, that's why I kind of jokingly tweeted, like, it all depends if Israel is a Q2 or a Q3 loss, right? Like, we have no idea. Like, is Israel good or is Israel bad? I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't want to say if, if you're Auburn, you're probably excited that Johan Treyar put up numbers all week, and that's good. I just watched the highlights of national team versus Auburn. I mean, Denny Avdia is like an NBA rotation player. Yeah. Jan Madar is stashed by the Celtics. Um, but the highlights made him look pretty good. And then talk about this blast from the past. The backup center for Israel. Oh, jeez. Is it Roman Sorkin. Oh, go ahead. Remember Roman Sorkin? I do not. Oregon. Four years of no rotation. Uh, yeah, I was uh, thinking, it'd be very Northwestern to have an Israeli player. Put it that way. But yeah, Auburn, I'm not... I'm not buying top 25 Auburn. I mean, this team is going to be so I'm much. It's going to be so much Katie Johnson and Wendell Green. Like, we're doing this again. Shocking. Except without without an NBA front court. Yeah. Well, maybe a, at least one NBA front court player. There's like a decent chance, you know, on Trevor's first round pick. We'll see. We shall be. And we will come back to you next week with more international trip content, with more um, news and notes. Um, I will be at the Under Armour Next Elite 24 this week, which has a very good roster of players. Practice, scrimmage, and games, kind of like McDonald's All-America Week, just a little bit different. Um, So I'm excited about that. It should be a good productive week the end the game is gonna be sick it's played outside right on the lake in chicago um i don't know how good of a basketball game it'll be but it'll be pretty cool um and certainly the practices and scrimmages will be helpful to give you an idea of the rosters brad um so you've got 2020 so it's 2023s and 2044s mostly plus bryson tiller who's 2025 but he's gonna be 2024 um so one team is tahad pettiford he's 2024 uh, Stefan Castle, UConn, Simeon Wilcher, North Carolina, Bryson Tucker, who's IMG 2024, uh, Xavier Booker, Rayvon Griffith, who's going to Cincinnati, Derek Queen, who's 2024, top 10 recruit, Marco Jackson, 2023, high-level scorer, one of the best of the class, Victorious Miller, top, one of the top recruits in 2024, Justin Edwards, who's going to Kentucky, top five recruit, uh, Bay Fall, who sounds like he's going to Arkansas, 2023 recruit hasn't committed yet. And then Sean Stewart is going to Duke in 23. And then the other team is Bryson Tiller, uh, who's really, really good. Boogie Fland, who has a bunch of elite offers already for 2024. Um, Jamie Kaiser, who just committed to Maryland, uh, 2023. JP Estrella, uh, who has a Duke offer, but is not going to Duke. But like, not Iowa, Iowa, maybe? Iowa or so, Syracuse? Yeah. Iowa would be great. Trey Johnson, who might be the number one player in the 2024 class. He's from Texas. Um, Matas Buzelis, who's going to Julie Knight, top 10 player in the 2023 class. Uh, Dennis Evans, the seven-foot uh, shot-blocking center in 2023, top 20 recruit. Um, Elliot Cato, who's the uh, like Swedish point guard. He's at Link Academy uh, from New Jersey, who is uh, 2024. KJ Evans, who we mentioned before, is going to Oregon. Trenton Flowers, five-star recruit in 24. Uh, Isaiah Collier, elite point guard recruit in 2023, top 20 recruit. And then Ian Jackson, who's from Cardinal Hayes in New York City, who's 2024. So, like, really, really high-level talent. 
I'm excited to get to see those guys in a variety of different settings this week. Oh, yeah. And or under three months. Whew, we'll let's do it, folks. We'll see you all next week.